0: From their padded cell in Indianapolis, Indiana, this is The Spiel, episode 29. A vowel. A vowel. My hacienda for a vowel. Hola amigos, <laughs> bienvenidos para el Spiel. Okay, I'm going to stop the Spanish right now because I've run out of my 8th grade Spanish. And yeah, pretty much taco <laughs> is the only word I know. So, <laughs> Welcome to episode 29 of, of the Spiel. We've got some some really cool games coming up. We've got what, Hacienda and uh, Letterhead. Letterhead some interesting Off the list, right. Letter and farming uh, Cattle and Pigs and Sheep <laughs> games exactly. coming up. Uh, got some neat goober. Great little back shelf. Yeah, it's gonna be very fun. Yep, uh my my arm's a little tired though. I have to admit this time I've been uh, weeing a lot. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> I managed to score a Nintendo Wii this this last uh, couple weeks here, so we've been having a lot of fun with that. Oh, Cut into the game, the board game yeah. playing time a little bit, but you know they're all games, so it's all I, good. Well, we did that boxing thing. I
1: swear <laughs> it was only ten minutes, and I was dripping sweat. Yep. <laughs> it was fun though. I mean, you knocked me out in the end, I think, didn't you? I don't know. It was it was close. Yep. I I mean, if I didn't knock you out, I at least knocked something off. Your your coffee table
0: yep (laughs) no no television or window damage yet but i'm sure it's coming exactly it's only a matter of time (laughs) well uh, i think we should just jump right in and and get going with uh, the next episode cool game news and notes So contest news, to start out with, congratulations are in order to David Gullet, the first winner of our Name That Game contest, woohoo, golf clap, yay, David. So he is going to win a copy, a free copy of Rage, the card game Rage from Fundex Games, courtesy of Fundex Games. Um, that'll be coming to him in the mail very soon. Uh, we play this game. We're gonna play it every, uh, week or every episode from now on. Uh, there's gonna be a hidden clue. You'll, you'll be able to tell when it comes up in the episode. And the clue will al- always lead you to the name of a game. So, just to let the cat out of the bag, if everyone was beating their head against the wall or wanting to strangle us from the, uh, clues from last time, uh, the answer to the Name That Game contest from last week was, or is Aladdin's dragons? <laughs> Anybody get it out there? So there were two audio clues. There was uh, a little snippet from a song from Steppenwolf, uh, "Magic Carpet Ride," and then another clip from uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers to stop "Dragging My Heart Around." So you get "Magic Carpet Ride," "Dragging My Heart Around," Aladdin's dragons. Get it? <laughs> Some of you got tripped up by the little red herring. You got to watch out. We're tricky. Little red herring in there with the Star Trek reference and Zephram Cochran. But uh, we got some really good guesses and we'll be playing the game again this week. Congratulations to David and um, looking looking forward to more Name That Game contests in the future. Could be anything. Be ready, be listening, and you could win a copy of Rage. Remember, you can enter the contest by going to the website, which is thespiel.net, and there's a little button off to the right that you can click on. That'll generate an email to us with the subject line, name that game, and just write the name of the game in in that particular email. Um, We'd love to hear from you other ways, but with your contest entries, try to keep it just to the the name of the game stuff so that we can just separate things out. It's easier for us to keep your contest stuff and your your mailbag stuff separate, so... um, please go to the website and click on the button or send us email at steven at or dave at and we look forward to your guesses. On to uh, other news. Actual uh, new,
1: real news. In yes. <laughs> what, what do you have for us? Well, um, I was in a store just recently and saw a game that just really, I thought looked really cool. The game is Arcadia. It's co-published by Rio Grande and Ravensburger, and like I said, it just hit the shelf barely a few weeks ago. It was designed by Rudiger Dorn, it's for two to four players, ages 10 and up, retail's 45, you can find it online for around 29 bucks. So here's a little bit of the storyline. In a remote land, there lies a region with undulating hill, hills and fertile valleys. It is here that settlers have laid the foundation stone for the city of Arcadia. In addition to several other buildings, they want to construct a magnificent castle on a hill. There's four wealthy families, the cloth merchants, the spice merchants, the carpenters, and the silversmiths. They want to enhance prestige and augment their influence. For this reason, they're gonna, they would like, they're competing for the major contribution of that castle. And you, the player, are gonna play the part of the actual architects. So you're gonna design and build this castle. And it just looks really cool. That's kind of the story behind it. But what really is cool, cool to me is two or three things. First of all, the castle pieces. Duh. <laughs> this could have probably gone in Goover. But these are really close to the same exact pieces that were in Torres, if anybody remembers oh,
2: that okay. game from yeah. several
1: years ago. They're kind of cool looking. But what really is cool is this mechanic of scoring. Every player has a screen, a player screen in front of them, you know, kind of one of those cardboard cardboard stand up things. Oh yeah. And on your screen you hang four banners. Hmm. And during the game, as an optional action, you can take one of your banners off and score. So the scoring isn't like, specifically, you're going to score here and you're going to score at the end of the game. Oh, so it's It's up to you to decide. It's up to you to decide when you think it's in your best interest to score. Hmm. And obviously, you're only going to get four chances to do that. And since the banner's hanging on your thing, everybody else is going to easily see, well, you've scored three of your four times. You haven't scored yet at all. (laughs) And the scoring is really cool because it kind of is like... What is that old game, Pueblo? When you finally oh. do decide to score, you're actually going to look down on the castle from above and see what you can see, and score that way. That's and so, fun. if you wait too long, the castle may change and may not be best you know scoring for you right now. If you wait too long, it might bite. <laughs> so
0: it just it looks kind of cool. Yeah, that does. I I haven't even seen that on shelves or online. I haven't really been looking at that one. So that's thanks for that. Cool. Bringing another game on <laughs> yeah, the list exactly. for right, me all right, all right, all right. damn you, <laughs> so i've got an I'm doing my typical rapid fire cool. uh, <laughs> not they, these aren't new games, but they're things of note about games that are coming up as well as some just wacky news about <laughs> games in general so the first one is Valley games uh who republished Die Mocker, which we just covered um has a really ambitious release schedule over the next year, so they're going to try to do six reprints of classic games as well as three originals all within the next 12 months. The reprints are going to be Hannibal, Rome vs. Carthage, Titan, Big City, Republic of Rome, Liberté, and Extra Blot. Which I'm not even really familiar with. Extra extra Blot blot I'm not familiar with, but the Um, other ones are pretty heavy. Now they have a release date of uh, July for Hannibal Rome versus Carthage, but the rest of the titles are a little thin on details. Of the originals, I think I failed to mention that. The originals are Containers, Municipium, (laughs) I'm, I'm... butchering the name easy, I was say easy for you to say. Uh, Super- and Supernova. Those are the three oh, okay. original titles. Their claim is that all nine of these titles are going to be released within the next 12 months. Wow. They're ambitious and eager, and I certainly hope they're able to pull this off. It's really cool to see a company that's looking uh, backwards and forwards at the same time, you know, there's a lot of great games that are out of print that could certainly find oh. a new audience if they were available, but there's always room for new ones too. So it's kind of fun that they're splitting their efforts between, you know, bringing some classic right, exactly. back as well as, you know, investing some time in coming have, up with new Do they games have any too. other
1: games other than Democker? Um, are there some
0: other things out there? Cause- Oh, I'll I'll put a link to okay. their website. Democker's the thing that sort of that, put them on right. the map. I think they might have one other original, oh, okay. and they have big. I think they've announced Big City, but they don't have a release date. Okay, and they have Hannibal Rome versus versus Carthage, which is coming out in July. So look wow. forward to some really cool That's stuff. Neat. And it's a Canadian company. I think I failed to oh, mention okay. that they're based okay. in Canada. So that's number one. Number two, there's a trailer for the new Talisman game (laughs) online. Uh, If you go, I'll put a link in the show notes. And it's a little sort of goofy multimedia thing. (laughs) But the cool thing is at the end of it, you get a little interactive tour of the components. So it shows you the board and the pieces, and you can click on them, and they give a little blow up things. So there's there's number two. That's awesome. If you're interested in the new <laughs> version of Talisman, there's a little bit more info out there for you. And last but not least, this is number three: is Hasbro. Uh, you know, we don't cover a lot of you know sort of family games, so I thought this would be a good one to to throw the the family cool. you know traditional board games a bone. There's a new version of Life coming out by Hasbro that is sponsored by Visa that is using credit cards instead of cash. Ah! I know. So this comes from, there's a blog I read called The Consumerist that sort of takes takes good pokes at the Uh consumer culture and things. So this is kind of a quote from them. As if the credit card-related debt uh, wasn't big enough for most most people in the United States, Hasbro and Visa want to fuel that fire. Hasbro is launching a new edition of the Game of Life called Twists and Turns that will replace money with Visa-branded cards. Matt Collins, Hasbro's Vice President of Marketing, says of the Switch, When we started to redesign a completely new edition of this popular game, we knew it was time to reflect the way people choose to pay and be paid, and replacing cash with Visa was a very obvious choice. They also yeah. changed the goal of the game from accumulating the most money to earning the most life points. Supposedly this is a combination of wealth and life experiences, but it's not hard to see the parallels between life points and reward points and airline miles you might earn with a credit card. <laughs> For their part, Visa says they're only responding to what consumers want. Uh this kind of Are they are, this they kind actually... of corporate synergistic Crap just oh, it just makes my skin.
1: Are they actually gonna have like
0: a little electronic swiper doohickey or I think so. I don't know for a fact, but I, I think from what I've read that's that's the plan, so Yet another game. The, ah. the, the comment at the end was, "How about a new version of Ants in the Pants, where the ants make it so terrible for the wearer that the Terminx Man has to show them <laughs> show up to kill yeah. them all?" You know, just, <laughs> if you're going to just sell out the game and just make it a shill for some corporation, I mean, you just cut out the heart of. It just shows why the kind of games we're going to cover on this Spiel right. are going to find a foothold with a wider audience exactly. sooner, exactly. sooner rather than later. Because well, people to... people are yearning for cool games not games that are sponsored by visa we can only hope that that game just falls on its butt yeah i mm -hmm. mean that's
1: just (laughs) horrible yeah so uh there you have it those are my three rapid fire news items of newt i'm stoked to see that talisman thing yeah very
0: the list over a decade ago we took up the challenge of playing every unplayed game in our collection each week on The Spiel, we play one or two games off our unplayed list. The list started over 100 and has been as low as 30, but we're at peace with the fact that we'll probably never get to the end. After all, life would be awfully boring without new games to play. Let's see which games get crossed off the list. Welcome to The List.
1: We've got two great games coming up, and the first one is Hacienda. Hacienda. It was co-published in 2005 by Hansum Gluck and Rio Grande Games. It was designed by Wolfgang Kramer. It's for two to five players, ages 10 and up. List for 40 bucks. You can find online for between $25 and $32. Here's a little bit of the story. Hacienda is set in Argentina at the beginning of the 19th century. As the owner of a small hacienda in the pastures of the Pampas, you will try to first acquire land and animals, then build additional haciendas, harvest your crops, And finally, sell your animals at market. But beware, your competitors will try to lay claim to the fertile pampas first, and they will stop at nothing to beat you to the markets. The winner will be the estanciero, or the landowner, with the largest and most important hacienda. So, in game terms, what you're basically trying to do is to build chains of land and animal tiles. During the game, these chains are going to earn you pesos. At the end of the game, during scoring rounds, they're going to actually earn you victory points. So obviously, at the end of the game, the player with the most victory points wins the game. So before we go on to the game, I thought I wanted to talk about pompous Because (laughs) I remember when we were playing this game, we were all like, I've never heard of that word before. (laughs) Obviously, it leads you to believe that it's some type of a plane or something like that. Argentina. (laughs) Exactly. But it's specifically is... It describes the fertile South American lowlands that are found in the Argentine provinces of Buenos Aires, Las Pampas, Santa Fe, and Cordoba, and apparently the climate there is so absolutely perfect that the the soil for agriculture is just awesome, and it's a place where you can pretty much grow any darn thing you want. I was completely ignorant of the word Pampas, so I looked it up, found out what it is, now Everybody knows. I might, not have, I might have been the only one that didn't know that. <laughs> now he's pompous about yeah, knowing oh the word God. pompous. No, stop. <laughs> Sorry. That was good, though. Okay, so let's get into the game. Let's first look at some of the uh, components. we got a great little game board. It's a double-sided game board. On one side of the game board, has it has a symmetrical map. On the opposite side, it has an asymmetrical map. Uh, the game we play was on the symmetrical side, and I think they even suggest wait till you've kind of played a few games before you go flipping to the other side.
0: Because there's there's certain advantages that the asymmetrical map you know once you play. you played. know exactly exactly.
1: So basically, the board is made up of um, hexagonal spaces. Some of the spaces have water in them. Some of them are market spaces. Some of them are pompous spaces, and there are land spaces. Now, the interesting thing to say about the tell you about the land is that the lands are in a single chain that kind of meanders around the board for some reason in the shape of a dog bone. (laughs) I'm sure there's a reason, but that just, just thought I'd bring that up. Um, Of course, around the outside is a scoring track um, and there's a scoring track on both sides. Um, Also comes with the game. There's a lot of cards. You have 80 land cards. Each land card represents one of the land spaces on the board. So you've got mountains, forests, meadows, pompous, and so forth. Um, There's also animal cards, and there's four types of animals in the game. You've got cattle, horse, pig, and sheep. So those are the two types of cards, the land and the animals. You also have some hexagonal land tiles, and these come in the five different colors of the players. So when you play a a land card, you'll use these tiles to mark the board to say, this is my land space. Coincidentally, also, there are animal tiles that match the animal cards. So if you play a pig card, you're going to lay down, guess what? A, a pig, pig tile. <laughs> exactly. Um, also, there's some water tiles. These come in four different sizes. There's like a one hex size, a two hex, a three hex, and a four hex size of little water tiles that you can play through the, throughout the game. And they're kind of oddly shaped. Yeah, they're, it, they're really strange shapes. They're, they're cool, but yeah, they're not just straight lines or anything. They're kind of wacky meandering things just like water would do. Hmm. Go figure. (laughs) Um, You get some really cool wooden little miniature haciendas. Some of them are colored and those you use on the scoring track to keep score and then there's some neutral shades that you just set beside the board and you'll put those on the board through through the course of the game. There's also some harvest chips which you'll play on your chains through the course of the game and then there's a little deck of money or pesos broken up into several you know levels of currency, um, then the coolest thing I think are <laughs> the the stupid little rule summaries they 're double sided and they 're awesome I mean once you brief once you go through these rules really quick, um, these little summaries are perfect in telling you exactly what to do on your turn. If you flip it over, it tells you exactly how to score i don 't think you'd ever have to have to open the rule book again
0: yeah because they're yeah, so the quick reference concise sheet just works so well yeah it's
1: it 's awesome, so those are some of the components. Uh, The preparation is fairly easy, everything kind of just gets gathered together and put beside the board. A couple special things, the two decks of cards. You shuffle those guys and then you deal four face up. So there's a face up pool of cards as far as land cards to draw from and um, a deck to draw from. Same thing with the animal cards. You're going to have a deck to draw from and you're going to have four face up animal cards that you can choose from. The one difference with the animal cards is that after you've laid the uh, four face-up ones, you're going to cut the deck in half, set half of that deck aside. The, uh, when you get through the end of the animal deck the first time, that's going to trigger the interim scoring. And then you'll replace it with the new, second the second half. half. When you get through that one, obviously that's going to be the final scoring. So that's how you pace the game is by how quick the animal Deck gets used so up. So that's
0: sort of the division of the game. There's going to be two those two basic two, scoring e-
1: exactly. phases exactly at the beginning of the game. Everybody gets their full complement of animal tiles. You get eight land cards, four animal cards, and twenty pesos to start the game, and then you're ready to go. Um, each turn is um, each turn. a play every player gets three actions. So there's a whole slew of things that you can do. Whole slew of actions you can do, but you only get three. And you don't have to take three, you can take up to three actions, and you can repeat some of the actions you can take multiple times in the same thing. So the three major types of actions are that you can buy an object, you can play a card, or you can harvest. So of the objects that you can buy, you can purchase a land card, and you can purchase an animal card. This is pretty simple. You'll pay two pesos to draw a card off the top of a deck, or you'll pay three pesos to draw from one of the face-up. Things Since you already know what's going on, they hit you up for (laughs) a little more, not an uncommon mechanic. When you draw one, you obviously replace it with a new one, so there's always four up. And like I said, with these land cards, you can choose to do this multiple times. So you can do that all three. Exactly. If you wanted to buy three land cards, you're good to go. Uh, The other two things that you can buy are the haciendas and the water tiles. These you can only do once per turn. So if you buy a hacienda, the next time you can buy a hacienda is your next turn. These both cost 12 pesos. Um A hacienda gets played on one of your, either your animal tiles or your land tiles, and will kind of give you some bonus points when you get to the scoring rounds. The water tiles you'll lay anywhere that you want on the board in the pompous spaces, and you'll be attempting to surround water spaces for extra points as you play the game. So those are the four things that you can buy. Playing cards, obviously there's only two types of cards, so you can play a land card. Like I said, the land cards have a type of land on it that match the land on the board. So if you were to play a mountain land card, that means you're going to take one of your land tiles that has your color on it, and you'll place it on a mountain space. It's pretty simple. The only one that's a little different than that is the pompous land card. If you you play one of those, you can't just place your land tile on any pompous space on the entire board because there's so many. It just has to be played right next to a land tile that you already have on the board.
0: So you're making a little chain, Exactly, basically. and
1: it makes sense because that's the whole idea of the game is to make these chains. You wouldn't want to just blop all these little single single guys out there. Um, the animal cards are a little different. This is where you can actually start making some money during your turn, which you're definitely going <laughs> to need. need to. <laughs> so just like the uh, land cards, if you play an animal card, let's say you play a pig, you're gonna play one of your little pig tiles out on the board. The first time you play an animal tile it has to go adjacent to a land tile that you've already placed or adjacent to another animal of that same type. So if you're gonna place a pig, if it's the very first time, it'll go next to one of your land tiles. If you've got other pigs out there, then you could place it next to one of those other pigs. So you can't place cows with pigs. They can be next to each other in their own little herds, but they just can't be in the same little chain. You couldn't alternate cow-pig, e- cow-pig. Exactly, pig. exactly. So now what's cool about placing the animals is that you're attempting to run these animals up to one of the markets. You're trying to essentially deliver them to the market. So if you place one of these little animal tokens right next to one of the sides of the markets, then you're going to actually earn pesos based on the number of animals in that chain and the number of land tiles in a chain that extends the animal chain, if that makes any sense. Go over that again. <laughs> it's, it's really it confused me. It's really weird. It's until you play it, it's actually hard to... But if you've got a chain of three pigs and at the end of that chain it's attached, it's always going to be attached to a land chain because you had to start there, you actually now get to count all the tiles in that land chain. Oh, okay. So you would combine those, that total of those and you'd get a peso for each one of those. Got it. And there's, there's actually six sides to each market. And there's 10 markets on the symmetrical side, so there's 60 chances for the players to actually take their herds to market and get pesos for them. So that's how you do the animal cards. And then the very final thing that you can do on your turn is to harvest. And this is kind of cool. There's these little harvest tokens that lay beside the board. You can just pick one up. They don't cost anything. And you can lay it on one of your land chains that already that doesn't already have a harvest token on it. And once you do that, you're going to get three pesos for every tile in that chain. Pretty simple. The cool thing about this is there's not very many of these. There's maybe eight set beside the board. So once they're all used up, you can still take this action, but you're going to actually have to remove one of these from... An opponent's chain, land chain. Now, this is unfortunately not cool for you. It's bad. You need it. But as soon as you remove that from their land chain, they now have that they chain empty and, and they can it score it yet again or <laughs> get pesos for it again. So you have to be very choosy about where you you know, take those from <laughs> if you're going to have to take them from somebody. Yeah. But since taking your herds to market and playing this harvest are the only way that you can earn pesos, both these are pretty important. So once those are all the actions you can do. Buy something, play a card, or do a harvest. You'll continue this until you run, cycle through the animal deck twice. After the first time you'll have a scoring, after the second time a scoring. The cool thing about the scoring, both scorings are exactly the same. And like I said, the little flip side of your reference sheet steps you through this scoring very quickly, very easily. It's awesome. So here's the five ways that you can score. Pretty easy. You get to score victory points for the number of markets that you've connected to or the number of markets you've delivered your herds to. Not the sides of the markets, but the how many different different markets you've connected to. Exactly. And there's a cool little chart. If you've connected to one, you're going to get one victory point. If you've connected to four, you're going to get ten. So it progressively goes up the more you connect to. The second thing is you're going to get points for your land chains. A A chain has to be at least three tiles long and then you're gonna basically get two points for every tile in that chain. Pretty cool. Um, haciendas, remember I said you could place those on an animal tile or a land tile. You're gonna get one point for every tile in a chain with a hacienda on it. Pretty simple. Um, get it points for water tiles. This is this is where I remember getting my-
0: Yeah, you, you be- invested Jesus heavily. a <laughs> load of it,
1: exactly. So you get one point for every tile that you have that surrounds or is adjacent to a water tile. And the cool thing is, if your tile's adjacent to more than one, it counts for a point for each one of those tiles that it's adjacent to. So if you can lay water tiles so you can squeak in between them with a whole row of stuff, that's going to be a truckload of points. And then the very final thing is, for each full 10 pesos that you have left over at the end of the game, you're going to get a victory point. You're adding all these together, most victory points wins the game. That's the whole game. It's... That I think the coolest thing about this game is I don't think there's any one mechanic that you go, oh, that's the most unique, coolest thing I have ever played in my entire life. But the way the game is delivered through the rules, through the reference cards, through the how the board is designed, how the all of the um, goober works mm-hmm. with the game, it's just so elegant and so streamlined. Streamlined is the word I was thinking. Yeah, of it's it's. It's just a great game for that. If you're looking for a game that possibly you would consider a little meatier, but you almost were tempted to bring, you know, gateway type of players in, absolutely. You know, this is cool. Now, the other cool thing is they do include some variations. There's a whole extra sheet with a handful of variations that do step up. Know the strategy quite a bit because instead of having specific scoring rounds, you can score all the time. There's all kinds of really neat things. Then you got the flip side of the board. Yeah, I was going to say the exactly. Exactly. map. Really in combination, too. the double-sided map and all the variations used together, or just one at a time, adds you know, to the replayability
0: ex- ex- quite a bit. I would say exactly. Um, you have any words of wisdom about this? Yeah. So having the ability to do you have that good decision making quandary that that these kind of games always have where you have uh you know four things you want to do but you can only do three of them that you're always caught in that bind and then having the multiple ways of scoring having to sort of think about both of those things what am i trying to set myself up for and how am i going to maximize that with the different ways that i can score um the fact that it plays so fast i guess that you know, like you said, it's not necessarily the most unique in terms of the concept or the way the rules are presented, but the the way they've streamlined it down into a game that really plays, gosh, I'd say once you know how to play and have played it once, you could play and do you think 30 minutes is an exaggeration or I'd say not? like 30 to 45 minutes once you play. I mean, we just were going through those animal cards like crazy. I was really surprised by that. I really – something I think that to point out that maybe you didn't hit on enough was the scarcity of the different animals and the resources right. in terms of – I got to a point where I really needed pigs to be able to extend one of my lines because I was trying to get out to a particular market. And there just simply were no pigs nope. left to be had, and hadn't factored that into my plans and things, so you have to you can't invest too heavily in one kind of animal or another, or it can really right. come back to to bite you in the snout, so to <laughs> uh-huh. speak <laughs> stop but you know it definitely having balance to the way you try to get your points as with most of these games, you're going to get punished. I think I, I invested too heavily in trying to connect up to all the different markets and didn't put enough into to getting longer land lines right. so that I get points. I, I was sort of keeping up with everybody, but then when people started dropping their Haciendas on, I was just left in the dust because I hadn't invested in the, the Haciendas early on enough to really capitalize on the longer lines. I just went for the little, okay, I'll connect there and I'll connect there. And that, uh, that ended up not being such a great strategy. Exactly. You know, it, it's always it wasn't a bad strategy, but you had to kind of have your finger in multiple pies if you're going to do it. You can't exactly. if you overly commit to one thing or another. You're gonna get punished in that game, in this game. But the cool thing is, because it plays so fast, you could say, okay, let's set it up let's and do, do it again. again. And you've learned from your mistakes in 20 minutes instead of taking two hours and go, wow, I really don't care because <laughs> I don't want to play that again because it took too long. So right. that, to me, the ease of ease of learning the game was still having those nice decisions was its strongest point to, to me. I, th- I can't remember. Was this game nominated for a Spiel
1: and, Ooh, I you're putting me on the spot. I yeah, don't, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think it, was, it was. I think, I think it, it was, was in the list of nominees. And and I think it was. It'd be I'll it'd be, right. be a strong running knowing their criteria. You know, for picking yeah uh, Spiel des Yard. This would be I can see have uh, been a strong contender mm-hmm. for that particular award. the The only knock I have on the game period are the uh, the land tokens and the animal tokens being double sided in an effort to give you the greatest possible mix of tiles during each game. So, you know, maybe one game you're going to need 50 sheep, and the next game you're not going to need any sheep, but you're going to need pigs. They've kind of double-sided all the tiles with the animals and the lands to give you that flexibility, but when you're playing them, it is kind. Of, it gets a little tough sometimes. Like, well, I know I have a pig here somewhere. Damn it! Oh, <laughs> well, where's where? And you flip two or three things over, and you finally find the pig that was on
0: the opposite side. You know, yeah, a chicken or whatever. The <laughs> and the know. scarcity just so to allay confusion. The scarcity I'm talking about is with the cards, not the tiles. Right. Because right. you always you have tiles. Yeah. You're, you're probably are. never going to have that issue. Yeah. But because physically there are only a certain number of animal tiles, and that really determines the the course of how the game is going to be played right. out. They're just physically or only so many of each animal, and yeah. you're not going to be able to play maybe as many as you would like to because they're already in somebody else's hand or have already and been played. the fun thing with this game, just like any other game like it, you've got
1: those four face-up cards. You're always waiting, like Steven said. He's waiting for a pig. He can't get it. He can't get it. And, of course, the next person to draw off the top always gets a pig. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Steven couldn't get a pig for his life, but... We could all get paid. Yeah, no yeah. problem. <laughs> which is
0: I mean, that's just the way those games go. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so first game off the list, Hacienda. I would definitely highly recommend this game to anybody. I think it would fit a wide you know uh, yeah. variety
0: of audiences. Your your description with the gateway thing was a great one. It's cool. a good introductory euro one, I would say. I hold in my hand the last envelope. May a nearsighted sand flea suck the syrup off your short stack. (laughs) I have in my hand an envelope. A
1: child of four can plainly see. These envelopes are hermetically sealed. They've been kept since noon today in a mayonnaise jar on Funk and Wagnall's porch. No one, but no one, knows the contents. In his mystical and borderline way, Karnak will now ascertain the answers, having never heard the questions.
0: The answer is, Lapsong Souchong, Candy from Charleston. <laughs> and the question is, name that game. So the second game is Letterhead. It was published in 2000. Kristen and Herbert Lawson uh, are the designers. Atlas Games is the publisher. It's for one to nine people, so it even has some solitaire rules, which is pretty cool. cool. Um, and the, the basic game plays in ten minutes. It sort of varies because there's so many games that come with it. Um, it retails for $20, but you can find it online for fifteen ninety five around that price. Um, so here's, here's the rundown on Letterhead. Letterhead is a dynamic, word-forming card game. Players create words using a special deck of cards that have letters instead of numbers and points instead of suits. Missing a crucial letter? No problem. Canny players can bluff their opponents into thinking they've got every letter that they need. So social skills and emotional intelligence (laughs) are just as important as your spelling ability. Which is good for the guy sitting across the table from me. (laughs) Uh, So the cool thing is letterhead isn't just one card game. Included with the 124 card deck, are rules for 14 additional games. Uh, But before we go into the extras, let's go over the basic rules to the basic game of letterhead. So each player starts with a five card hand, and the rest of the deck in the center of the table is a draw pile. Just like Quiddler or any standard word game, each card has a letter and a point value listed on the card, Wild cards, however, are going to take on the point value of the card they represent, which is a little different than if you think like a blank tile in Scrabble where it isn't actually worth anything. So on your turn, you're trying to form a word that will score you the most points. You can draw cards to add to your hand, but your hand can never have more than 10 cards. The trick is that your word score is going to be based in part on the number of cards that are in your hand. So the more cards you have, the larger the word you have to form to score a big bonus. Um, You're gonna get bonus, you're gonna get points for the values of the letters that you play, just like you would in Scrabble. But in addition, there's this bonus chart that's based on the length of the word that you play and the number of cards in your hand. These bonuses make it enticing to draw extra cards, but it also puts extra pressure on you to lay down an extra long word to really cash in on the bonus. Now you also have one more decision to make before forming your word, and that's to bluff or not to bluff. That is the question you can play all the cards in your word face up and simply score your word as you would, you know, in most other kind of word games. You add the values of the cards and then you get, you use the little chart to figure out if you get the bonus or you can do this other thing, which is try to bluff your opponents and perhaps score even more points by bluffing. So instead of placing all your letters face up, you can play some of your cards face down. Your opponents must then decide whether to call your bluff or not. If they don't call your bluff, then you get the points for all the cards that you play, even if they don't spell a legal word, plus any bonuses. If they call your bluff and you have a legal word, then you score an additional 10 points for each person who incorrectly called your bluff. Now, if they catch you and they call your bluff, really bad, you don't score any points and you lose your turn completely. So it's high risk, high reward to bluff. Um, Last but not least, one of the extra cool mechanics about this game is that the draw phase in this game is open to all players at all times. So that means that anyone can draw letters into their hand at any point in the game keeping in mind that the hand limit is 10. Now remember You're gonna be stuck with the cards that you draw though until you actually play some cards, or once you get to 10, if you want, you can take a turn to pass to chuck your hand and get a whole new hand of five cards and start over. But you can't just take cards (laughs) willy-nilly because you're actually gonna have to do something with these cards uh, and score some words with them at some point before you're gonna get more cards into your hand. Um, Basically, it's a point game. You play to a certain point total. You can play to whatever point total you want, really. Generally, the games are gonna take 10 minutes to play, tops, I think. we Ours lasted maybe even less than that in our first go-around. Right. Um, in addition, you may, remember, you may remember I mentioned that there are 14 other games, just to give you a little snippet of some of the other games. So that was Letterhead, the basic game we covered. There's also Word Slam, which is a raucous party game requiring quick mind and quicker hands. You try to be the first to recognize a word using shared cards and slam your word onto the table before anyone else. There's Vultures, where every word you play becomes tasty carrion for the player following you to feast upon. There's Red-Handed, where players are racing desperately to earn cards they can use to catch the opposition Um, red-handed. Seven-Letter Stud, which is a classic poker game with a twist. The best scoring word is the one that wins the showdown. Kind of like Parlay, if you remember Parlay from, I think, episode 16. I think I got that one down. Um, Take a Letter which is a wicked variation of the old parlor game Concentration, Ah. uh, which is cool. And then they've got actually a couple different solitaire uh, versions that you can play. So to me, the cool, extra cool part of this game is the fact that you have one bluffing added into this in a really interesting way um, that actually encourages you, even if you have a legal word to bluff because you know you might want to put that a upside down that's only worth one point because you know it's only gonna score you one point if you play it face up and you might entice someone into thinking well Hey, he's he's lying. He's actually (laughs) got QXVRB (laughs) with the silent K. That would be my word. (laughs) (laughs) So you could get extra points if they call your bluff and you actually have a legal word. The bluffing mechanic and the fact that, you know, even if you don't like the basic letterhead game, you've got 14 different ways to try this game before you pitch it out the window. There's got to be something you'd like in there. More than likely, five, four, three of them are going to hit with you. How often do you get a game like that where you get a a second try? You're like, well, I didn't like this one. Let's try the next one for a game that, you know, it's a little pricey for a card game. I'll admit that up front because it really is just only 124, you know, deck of cards. But I think you get a a good bang for your buck in terms of the replayability. What do you think? I think the, the best thing
1: that this game had going for it was the ability for you to draw a card out of turn anytime you wanted. Because one thing that most word-building card games suffer from if anything is let's say you've got six people playing and you've just taken your turn now you have to wait for five other people to look at their cards figure out their words and sometimes it can take a long time and with this one you can go I'll just take another card and see if I can get something I'll just take another card it's not always a great thing to take tons of cards but you you're you can actually be playing the game while the other people are taking their turns. Yeah, you're already plotting
0: your strategy. Yeah, and I just strategy. think, because
1: usually you can't do anything. Go, oh, here's the letters I got. Until I draw another one, I know that I have no words. <laughs> so you don't have to wait for your next turn. You just draw that other card. Maybe you'll have all consonants, so you know you have to draw. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can just do it out of turn and keep going. It's. I thought that was, like, way cool. Mm-hmm. The other thing is the bluffing thing. We've played several other, you know, card-based word games. I think this probably has
0: the best bluffing mechanic.
2: I think parlay
0: is up there with it, but parlay is much more trying to be a poker and a word game both, and so it's constrained by having all the poker bluffing. The way you bluff is very much fixed into the poker way of bluffing. This one is much more just straight out. Right, and (laughs) I
1: I think the bluffing is great in this game, because if your word building skills are any good at all, you can I mean, the bluffs you can come up with, you can convince people that you have one, two, three different <laughs> words under there, and you may
0: have none of them. hmm it's just, I just thought it was that, really That kind cool. of Wheel of Fortune thing yeah. where you have enough where they were like, well, it could be this word or it could yeah. be that word. You have to tell them what word it is actually at the right. end, but while you're laying them out. I can remember having that kind of yeah, exactly. experience playing through it. And then
1: the fun thing is um, right there on your little scoring reference card, it shows you how many of every single letter oh, is yeah. in the deck. Yeah. And so you can count. You can go, well, I've seen two of the three Ks. Now, Stephen is trying to bluff me by turning that what should be a K upside down. Mm-hmm. Is that? Did he really get the third and last K, or mm-hmm. is he just pulling my leg? Or does he have a wild card yeah, that he's yeah, exactly. put in there? exactly.
0: <laughs> I thought it was really cool. So I really, you know, I would encourage you if you like word games. The, the one, the one thing I have to mention is the graphic design on these cards is really bad. Yeah. the The box art, the, bo- yeah. the box art would turn so many people off. I don't find it particularly offensive or anything, but it's just so kind of out there that. I think that that probably prevents a lot of people from even taking this game seriously or giving it a not taking it seriously that's right. the wrong phrase but you know what I mean giving it a e- shot exactly. basically and it, even on the back of the box it doesn't give you any pictures of the cards or anything like that That no, just some missteps business missteps in the right, way this exactly. game was marketed that are just head scratchers that you know this game should be like Quiddler where you could just say this is an awesome little scrabble like word game Pick it up for you know ten to fifteen bucks, and you won't be sorry that you have this in your collection. And I can see a lot of people looking at the art of the box or the cards and going, "Huh? What? Yeah, I don't know." I had the game in my hand several
1: times and went, "You know, this just looks goofy. I'm not going to buy it." You know, and until you bought a copy, I can't remember where you bought it, but until you bought a copy and we played, I'm like. Wow! Yeah, I'm always I need to get being this. an
0: English major. I'm always the sucker for the word game. <laughs> so I'm like, well, it's a word game. I'll I'll take give it. it a, give shy. it a shot. Exactly. My boy, am I glad that I did because I didn't one. I didn't realize I was getting 14 games in one, which is awesome. And two, the you know the ones that we've played have actually been really really tight little right you know examples of what you can do with with just letters and numbers on a card. Good job as far as the the design goes. A little right. you know <laughs> C <laughs> C minus on the graphic design, but we'll, we'll we're infinitely forgiving if the game is actually fun, and this Bingo. one I thought was fun. So there you have it. Second game off the list was Letter Head, and that brings the list down to 141. Only 141 games wow. to go, Dave, and we we can end the show, I guess, because okay. we'll play them all. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll play those next week. Yeah. <laughs> Get right on that. Backshelf Spotlight. These games need some love and we're going to give it to them. The back shelf spotlight shines on those games that may have slipped past your attention. Classic games, rare games, obscure games that you may not know about but you should. If you're looking to branch out and try something new, this would be a good place to start. So no connection for the Backshelf Spotlight, we did kind of a special since we're kind of switching up the rules a little bit. um, We're doing all the forum posts now for the Backshelf Spotlight forum. And the first to sort of kick this off to let everybody have a chance at this new way of doing it. um, We did pub games last week as a user generated uh, suggestion for what we do with the Backshelf Spotlight. We thought it would be fun to have people write in and submit what they thought their favorite pub games were. And we uh, got a really nice um, response. (laughs) I like that. I think Aunt Sally yeah, was one of the wackiest ones, so you'll have to log on to thespiel.net and look at the forums and check out all the different games that people put down there because there's some really fun, interesting ones that Definitely, I wasn't yeah, aware of. some that I've never heard of, right. <laughs> so um, the people who responded, they're all eligible. Um, the, the laundry list goes like this. We've got David in Featherston, New Zealand. David the Emperor in Milwaukee, uh, Brad Keene in Columbus, Ohio, David Playa, from Playa del Rey, California, Sharga, Aaron Lambert in San Diego, California, Norman Johnston in the United Kingdom, Robin Goodall in Cambridge, England, Mike Brigado from Parts Unknown, and Tim in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, so without further ado, let's roll those spiel dice and see who's going to walk away with the new spiffy set of spiel dice. And the winner is... Let's look here, David in Playa del Rey, California. Congratulations, David! (laughs) Woo! I just I have to make a comment though (laughs) on the number of Daves and Davids that we have listening to this show. I'm beginning to think that we should rename the show "The Dave," a show about Daves and the people who love them. (laughs) (laughs) Are there no
1: Stevens out there? Come on! Nope, they're all Daves. (laughs) And I've got some. We've got some Kool Aid made up too.
0: For (laughs) great. Do I have to change my name to Dave? Is that what you're trying (laughs) to tell me? (laughs) Um, So remember, the deal is now with the the Backshelf Spotlight, we're going back to the connection contest this time. There's going to be a connection between the two games that we cover. We're going to have a a forum post called Episode 29, Backshelf Spotlight Connection, and we want you to post your answer to what you think the connection is between these games there so everybody can participate and you all can kind of brainstorm between the lot of you and maybe come up with some good answers or possibly even the mystery connection. Um, The other reminder is that we record the episode Usually on the Wednesday or Thursday of the week before Before they come out on Monday Right, so any entries that come in And you're welcome to participate in the forum anytime, day or night But to be eligible for the Spiel Dice Obviously you have to get your guesses in Before we actually go to air and record the darn episode. So just keep that in mind that That Wednesday or Thursday is kind of the the theoretical cutoff date for putting your guesses in if you want the dice. Participate any time, day or night. We love to hear from you at thespiel.net on the forums. On to the actual backshelf spotlight. The two games are... Corto. And Flinch. Two games with an obvious
1: connection. Obvious. I don't think we even need to discuss the games. No, no. Okay, okay next segment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the first game up is Corto. Classic, classic. I know it hasn't been around that long, but... I think everybody considers like that has been around a hundred years. Abstract
0: strategy games, this is in my top ten yeah. easily.
1: So Corto was published <laughs> by um, Guy Gamick in 1991. It was designed by Blaise Mueller. It's for two players, ages 8 and up. Retails for 30, you can find it for 26. Um, Corto is an abstract strategy game that has all wood components. It's really cool. It's basically a 4 by 4 board just a little grid it's much fancier than that It's little neat circles on the board and everything but it boils down to just a four by four grid and there's 16 pieces each piece has four attributes it's got a color a height a shape and a solidity so each piece is either dark or light tall or short square or round, or solid or hollow so those are all the characteristics basically the object is to place the fourth piece in a row where all the four pieces share at least one of those characteristics in common. Now, sounds easy. It sounds but like tic-tac-toe on steroids. It, exactly. But. It sounds like, yeah, okay, that doesn't sound cool. But the coolest part is that your turn consists of choosing the piece that your opponent will play. So you're not actually playing a piece on your turn. You're picking a piece to give to your opponent to play on your turn. So you could almost say that the object of this game is not to place the fourth piece in a row. The object is to not give your opponent the piece that <laughs> is the fourth in a row. Absolutely. Which is just... <laughs> <laughs> it's, I don't think... I don't think I know of any other game. I remember at, asking you this. I, yeah, <laughs> that I can think of at all. You know where basically, when if your opponent does win, they've won because you gave
0: them the winning piece. Yeah, I actually that was my first. will eliminate this from the challenge guesses right now because <laughs> I I thought wow wouldn't it be cool to find another game where handing the opponent you're actually handing you the them, opponent victory whenever you hand them the piece right. and that's that the coolest aspect of this game is you're like thank you. Bing. There they are. They all have holes. And you're right. like, "Damn it, <sighs> I didn't see that." Yeah, it's it is so it's one of those
1: games that in addition to be being an awesome awesome game, it looks really nice. If you let this set out anywhere in your house, it's going to get played. All the time, because I think you can play a game in five minutes. Oh, easily. easily. I mean, it just you set this out, it's going to get played all the time. Whether you just woke up and you're eating your damn cereal, or whether you just finished the news and you're getting ready to crash.
0: If it's sitting there, you're going to play it because it's so cool (laughs) and so quick. When I worked at the game store in grad school, one of the guys at the pizza place upstairs at the mall would come down and we'd play a quarto for free pizza. Oh yeah, <laughs> or or discount at the cool, store, exactly. level one needless to say, I got free pie <laughs> a lot of the time, right, but, but he could play it, you know, he'd just rush down for five minutes and play and then run back up to the to the place so and I know
1: it's worth mentioning that this game, I think, has like three versions there's like a deluxe, really nice version, there's mm-hmm. the standard version, and there's even a little magnetic travel version mm-hmm. that comes with like just a little bag,
0: so you can keep everything in just like a little baggy. I think there was, was there a giant version at one time too with like massive big pegs. I think now, that's long okay. out of print, but at I don't one time remember there was like you know the size boom, of round as your leg, big huge <laughs> things. That must have been like a promo thing, but that that's
1: probably long long gone. <laughs> cool, but look up this game, find it at any cost because it is it is well worth. If you don't know it, you should. Yeah, exactly. So that's first game in the connection,
0: Quarto, which leads us to Flinch. <laughs> so flinch uh was first published or uh designed in 1901 wow so we're talking 100 year old this one gamers. actually is 100 years old <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and we have played it it's not on the list <laughs> um so it was designed by aj patterson parker brothers at, uh was the original publisher winning moves is publishing it currently um it's for one to eight players um and it plays in about 20 minutes so, um Flinch is based on the classic card game, Spite and Malice, which uses a standard deck of cards where Flinch does not. Um, players try to get rid of all the cards in their game stack first to win the game. Both games play like a slightly more interactive and sometimes mean version of Solitaire to give you kind of an idea about the the concept behind the game. Uh, Flinch is played with a deck of 150 cards numbered from one to 15. Players are allowed to play cards in sequence, building them up from one to 15 um, to piles formed in the center of the table. One cards must be played to start the piles, but other cards may be played or held at the player's discretion. Cards may be played from a number of sources, either your hand, which you have five cards to start out with, a player's game pile, which is this stack of 10 cards that you're trying to get rid of to win the game, or your reserve piles. So as the game goes on, you might not be able to play cards to different stacks that are already out there because, you know, there's a six and you don't have the seven. There's an eight and you don't have the nine. In that case, you have five little extra spots, reserve spots, that you're going to play cards to. And you can play cards as the game goes on. If suddenly later on that you have a three and there's a two open, you could play a card from your reserve out to cover up that two to build that stack up. Um, Hands are continually replenished with new sets of five cards during the game, which this is a really interesting mechanic. I think that you're trying, you start out with this hand of five cards and you're trying like heck to play as many cards as you can out of your hand to, to these stacks that are always going up in number. If you ever get to the point where you've exhausted your hand, there's a little draw pile of extra hands that you just pick up another hand of five cards. And if you can continue to play cards to these different stacks, you can go for a long time playing from your reserve, playing from your thing, trying to manipulate these stacks, to get rid of all your cards, remembering that you're trying, you have these 10 magical cards that are over to the side, that that's the name of the game. You're trying to get rid of those 10 cards that are off to the side. Um, you know it, It's a game that I... It was one of the first games I can remember playing with my grandparents, uh, this and Rook. I think I have right. their original set of Flinch. And, you know, yes, it's not a brain buster, and I would never talk anybody into thinking otherwise it's, right. but it has its place and its time um it, it is nice because it does have a lot of uh time to interact it's not a game that's going to tax you mentally so you can sit and play which also means that you can play with a big age range where right. you know i was playing with my 80 90 year old grandparents and i was probably six to ten in that range of time and it's a game that we could have a ball with and not be you know struggling for the rules, as well as, we actually played a lot with partners. There's a partner version of the game that you can play off of each other's stacks. So there's Uh a nice amount of involvement, you know, trying to, to work it out. Well, I could play on that Mm and maybe you can help me out there. So, uh, just a classic, classic old game that I think may not, may not get dusted off or, you know, maybe it's one that if you're a newer gamer, you haven't given a shot because you're like, oh, it's an Ah, old game. What, what could it have going for it? But, I I would recommend it. I know Dave doesn't have particularly fond memories of <laughs> Flinch, but but it has a I have a soft spot in my heart for for Flinch. Cool. So remember, uh there's a connection between good old Flinch. And Quarto. <laughs> and we want to hear from you on the, the Backshelf Forum on thespiel.net. So if you are able to come up with a mystery connection, you could win yourself a set of spiel dice. Even if you don't, the most creative guest is going to get exactly. walk away with a set of spiel dice. So we want to hear from you. Truckloads of Goober. What is Goober, you ask? While sages and scholars may debate its subtle nuances... Dave defines Goober as either a game with a ton of quality components or a game with really unique components. Now we're not saying that you should always judge a book by its cover, but the stuff, the Goober in a game, can be a factor in having fun. Great Goober can make an otherwise average game excellent. Great Goober can make an already great game sublime. Let's see what the Goobermeisters have for us this week.
1: Okay, my turn. Uh, this episode Seems like it's for the been a goober. While. It has been. I don't know how that worked out, but I haven't picked a goober for a while. <laughs> but I did this time and I think it's really cool. <laughs> Dave's back driving the goober <laughs> truck. <laughs> so, my goober pick of this episode is a game called Pot del Diavolo or Devil's Bridge. I would pick it just for the name alone. I like it already. That's very cool. It was Copa it's it's co-published by Rio Grande Games, Hansum Gluck, and Schmidt Spiele, and it should be out here in the next couple weeks. So this is one that hasn't quite hit the shelves yet. Pre Goober. Exactly. Um, it was designed by Martin Ebel. It's for two players, ages ten and up. List for twenty five dollars. You can find it online for as low as sixteen bucks. So you may be asking, how can I possibly get Goober for sixteen bucks? Well, trust me, there's there's some really neat Goober in this. Um, before we get to the goober, basically I want to tell you a little, about, a little bit about the game. It's a tactical two-player game where each player is constructing these little islands on the board and then actually trying to bridge the islands to score points. So that's kind of gives you a hint as how the game plays. I first was interested in this game obviously because of the picture, because of the goober. But when I did a little digging, before we get to the goober, there's two other really cool things that this game has going for it. First of all, The author of the game, Martin Ebel, is without a doubt given kind of a tip of the hat to Alex Randolph and his game Twixt, which if you don't know Twixt, it's a classic, classic 3M bookshelf game that's been out for a long time. It's a great little game that I think kind of has its basis in Go. It has this thing where you can stretch these ladders out across the board and everything and if Martin has taken Twixt and kind of brought it to the next level and given it a couple new mechanics. I'm super excited about playing this game, goober or no goober. Yeah. I had no idea that that's what this game had going for <laughs> it You know, before I saw the picture. That sounds great. So that's really neat. The second thing is, the title Devil, Devil's Bridge made me go, what the heck? There's gotta be a real bridge named Devil's Bridge. So I looked it up, I was just for my own interest, and it has this really cool story attached to it. So I have to share this devil's bridge is actually a bridge and it's somewhere in Tuscany. The townspeople, when they wanted to build this bridge, couldn't quite do it on their own, so they made a deal with the devil. The (laughs) devil would build the bridge for them. The only thing that the devil would get is the first one to cross the bridge, he would get their soul. Well, the townspeople were pretty smart, so they sent a pig across the bridge. (laughs) So the only thing the devil got was a pig soul. Well, the devil was not too happy. So he distorted the the bridge and turned it in this really strange, high-arcing, goofy-shaped bridge. And you'll see why that's important when we start talking about the goober. I just thought that was... (laughs) Those
0: crafty Tuscans. Yeah,
1: exactly. I thought it was painfully cool. So, okay, let's get on to the goober. First of all, you get one kind of small square game board, but it has this lip around the outside, so the center is recessed down inside. So through the game, you'll be playing these wooden tiles, the uh, island tiles, that look very similar to like a blank Scrabble tile. Oh, they come okay. um, they come in two different colors, so you can tell, you know, whose island is who, whose. That goes down on the board. Um, you got a little cloth bag to keep those guys in, and now... The Goober that I thought was so cool. You have 15 wooden bridges, and they are a really strange sea foam green color, but they're a really big, high arching wooden piece. And when I first saw it, I'm like, man, this looks so cool. Why would you make these big, oversized, strange arch? Obviously, they're copying the real <laughs> devil's bridge, you know, it being a strange high arch. That's really cool. You know, and. The game just looks gorgeous set up. I hope it plays really cool. And like I said, there's only 15 of these. and It's kind of a small, a very affordable game. But as far as looks go, this, the goo, it's just gorgeous. I hope to get this puppy very soon. So there you have it. Goober for this
0: episode, pot del diavolo. Zigame game sommelier, or right game, right crowd. Like matching the perfect vintage with a delicious meal, The Game Sommelier finds the right game for any crowd, age, experience, or personality. Each week, one of us must pick five games to meet a fiendish challenge. Each week, one of us must earn the right, the honor, to be called The Game Sommelier. Here's Dave with this week's challenge. Okay, so Stephen is in the
1: hot seat this episode, trying to pick five games. We had a great challenge sent in by um, Andy Miner. It was a really cool challenge. that had Stephen trying to find five games that they could play on their lunch hour. The games had to not have a really involved setup, not have tons of components, because they only have about an hour, they want to spend the majority of that hour actually playing the games, not setting them up or dealing with all that stuff, so...
0: Let's see what you came up with. (laughs) Well, this was was fun. This was actually, the difficult part of this was winnowing it down to five, actually. Right. A different kind of challenge than usual. (laughs) Usually it's like, man, I don't know that these five, it was finding the right five that I thought would work. So I I aired towards, just as a little preface to my picks here, I aired towards games that were really pretty short, uh, with the idea being you could play maybe even one or two games within the time period, or you still have to eat your lunch. Right. Hopefully in this time period too. So you could eat your lunch and still maybe have time to play a game. Or if you only have a half hour for lunch, you still would have time to play Squeak one of these games. In, right? So these are generally about 15 to tops, 30 minutes games. In every case but one, they are um, at least two or more players. Oh, okay. Um Type games. I thought it would be good to include at least one that was just a two-player. If you just had a buddy who you wanted to play with, cool, shouldn't exclude that possibility. But in most cases, I think he was wanting, you know, something that you could play with a bigger group of people. Exactly. So cool. So here we go. So the first one uh, of my picks is For Sale. It was uh, came out in 1997. Stefan Dora is the designer. Uberplay and Ravensburger are the publishers. It's for three to six players, and it plays in about 20 minutes. So this is a fast-paced game about buying and selling real estate. Players first bid for several buildings, including, you know, big high-rises and cardboard boxes. uh, So runs the gamut, in other words. And then after all the buildings have been bought, you try to sell the buildings for the greatest profit possible. It's a little, might be a little loud and rowdy. I know he talked about, you like not wanting to include Snorta. But I think you could contain yourself well enough. Yeah, you definitely could. Super fast game. Easy to teach uh to people, non-gamer or gamer alike. It would be an easy game for people to pick up on. And uh it plays for three to six players, so you could play with a small group or a fairly big group. Um so there's number one. Completely
1: awesome pick. One of the best little auction games that you can play, especially in a ten, you know, fifteen, twenty minute
0: game. Thumbs up, great pick. Okay. Number two, thank you. Uh number two is Poison. 2005, Reiner Knizia is the designer. Playroom Entertainment is the publisher. Again, three to six players. This one's a little bit longer, 30 minutes, um, but I you could easily fit it in within a lunch lunch break. I think the first game might take 30. I think you could actually play it in less once everybody's familiar with the basic concepts behind the game. So in this game, players are choosing a potion card from their hand to add to one of three colored cauldrons, being careful not to let the pot total go over 13. The player who causes the cauldron to go over 13 must take all the cards within it, trying to avoid taking a potion mixed with poison. So you wanna be either the player with the most or none of any potion type uh, in order to be safe. Otherwise you take the risk of being the one uh, having the deadly dose and being knocked out. Really good, uh, uh, tough decision game to, to make. You're going to have to take cards when you don't want to. It sort of reminds me a little of Lost Cities right. in that respect, where you, you have to kind of put yourself in the hole or stick your neck out to try to to either go for getting all of one particular type of cards or whatever. Again, easy to learn. It has kind of that feel of, even though the theme is a little weird, of a more classic type card game. You know, It's just right. numbers on the cards and whatever. It wouldn't be hard for non gamers. To pick up no this is one of my family's favorite little
1: games since i taught them they love this and the cool thing about this as far as a lunch hour the three cauldrons after you've learned the game you technically wouldn't even need the three cauldrons they're just That's 3 true. they're just three piles
0: on the table absolutely you know great game great pick thumb number two <laughs> number three i'm going out on a little bit of a limb here because this is one i haven't played but um it's called fairy tale uh, it's 2004. Satoshi Nakamura is the designer. Z-Man Games is the publisher. It's for two to five players. Plays in about 20 minutes. Gets fabulous reviews. And this is one that's on high on my priority list to actually track down and get a copy and play just because I've heard so many good things about it. So in this game, your players are building hands of cards through a card draft. Uh, then you're going to play cards, trying to build sets or runs, like in Rummy, and to interfere with the cards that are being played by your, your opponent. Each card also has, in addition, like little special abilities and things that it can do that ah. you can mess with people. Um, from what I understand, a few games maybe needed needed to learn the icons or all the different cards' effects to be, you know, like a master at playing. But after the game, after that, the game becomes fast-paced, deeply involving, and surprisingly tactical. From from the research that I've done on it, and I, I just think it's cool. It's a Japanese. Uh, designed game, you don't see very many of these sort of modern style uh, board or card games coming out of Japan like that. Um, but this one gets really good reviews, and I think would fit the fit the bill. The average playtime is twenty minutes, two to five players. What do you think? Cool. I I think it sounds great. I've actually never heard of that game. By the description, it sounds really
1: cool. Um, I'm going to have to do a sideways thumb only because I, <laughs> I don't have enough, enough knowledge to
0: Fair enough. to say anything. But it sounds really cool. I just cool. didn't know that you knew
1: about that no, one. No, I, I wasn't, don't.
0: It was one that's on my radar, but we don't own or haven't played yet. But it seems like it would totally fit the bill and good way to encourage people to look out new stuff. Yeah, it sounds fun. Too. So, uh, let's see. Number four on my picks is Tsuro, 2005. Tom McMurchy is the designer. WizKids and Cosmos are the publishers. 2 to 8 players, and this game plays in 15 minutes, probably even can play faster than that. It's simple, fast, and beautiful little abstract strategy game. You lay a tile before your own token to continue its path on each of your turns. Your goal is to keep your token on the board longer than anybody else. But as the board fills up, it becomes harder because there are fewer empty spaces left. And other players' tiles may also extend your path in directions you don't want it to, kicking your piece off the board or into a spot where you just simply can't play a tile. unbelievably easy to teach to anyone. I mean, it's just, you know, you put your little stone on there and you follow, follow, the follow the path and that's pretty much it. Play It scales up nicely to eight players. Really fun to look at. It's one of those games where you can sit back and go, hmm, you could even maybe have this going on, even though the game doesn't take, you know, you could leave it set up and play it on your like afternoon break if you had one because you know it's just this nice little board right. with little stones and things and come back to it. But you're going to play multiple games of this within a, a lunch hour because it goes so fast depending upon the number of people you have. So number four there is Tsuro. What do you think? I like this pick because it allows
1: eight people and also because you've gotten a board game in there now because sometimes it's not always easy to play a, a full blown board game mm-hmm. type of thing and this is one of those board games that plays really fast and quick and actually is a lot of fun it has a lot of replayability i mean you just shuffle the deck right back up and go again mm-hmm. once you finish start and i love the little soap stony yeah. type of little pieces There's little pieces yeah, yeah. yeah little guys but yeah Stone that's that's
0: a fun little game Another thumbs up. Good goober, I guess, too. That's yeah, to exactly. <laughs> um, so last but not least, another good goober on the end is Hive. This is my two-player yeah. game. 2001, John Yianni and Gigamic. G- John Yianni is the designer. Gigamic is the publisher. It's a two-player game. Plays in about 20 minutes. This one I'm taking a little bit on faith, too, because I haven't played it, but I've had people hounding me now <laughs> for months saying, you must play Hive. So it is coming soon, I promise, people. Um, you're Basically, you have these beautiful... Bakelite um, tiles with little insects carved into them. Your the object is to try to surround your opponent's queen before you get your queen surrounded by your opponent. Uh, elegant little abstract strategy slash war game. Uh, just I've heard nothing but raves about this game it's from the people who've who've been urging me to play it, and I think it was another a nice board game. Beautiful pieces. You sort of get the whole ball of wax. It's not going to fit every lunch hour because you may have lunch hours where you have multiple people, but there are going to be those times where you got one guy across the table. and You're like, "Hey, let's let's break out Hive." In that case, so you've got you could have a little game bag of tricks there where you could have a little file cabinet hidden back there <laughs> with all five of these games because they don't take up much oh, space at all, yeah. and you can pull out one for any any size audience. So there's Hive. What do you think? I also like that pick because you did. At the end, there get
1: to squeak in one game with a little bit of meat to it. I have played this game, and it is really cool. and And the components are gorgeous and very minimal. Just fit in that little bag. Mm-hmm. You could just plop down the table. Most likely, you're going to turn a lot of heads playing this game. People are going to come over. What is that? Because mm-hmm. it just looks so cool. <laughs> and the the gameplay, once you learn exactly what all the pieces do, is very elegant and it's neat. So another thumbs up.
0: Cool. Great pick. Well, four out of five. I'll take that any yeah. any day of the week. So we'll have to. We'll be interested to hear from Andy, Miner, and what Madison, Wisconsin, see if he agrees with your thumbs or has any other uh, opinions. So send us mail or or log on to the forums at thespiel.net dot Remember our emails are Stephen at the dot and Dave at the dot And we always love to take some A challenges too. Yep. So if people have challenges out there that they want to put before us, we're happy to pick up those challenges and run with them and see what we can. Speaking of which, we have one uh <laughs> for you, Mr. Colson. Why do I always it always sounds like mine are going to be evil before we even get to them. <laughs> it's just the tone of voice you go <laughs> into it with. So this challenge comes from Brad Sanford. Okay. Um and there's a little time sensitivity to it. The interesting thing is I've already, he challenged me. I submitted a, a list to him because yeah. he wanted a response right away. So you don't know what my picks have been, but on the next one, we'll actually maybe get oh, to compare okay. and see uh. what your list was and ours. And then we can have good old Brad here okay. type in and see what he thinks. So um, he, here's what he wrote to us. He says, I've got a game Somalia challenge. I'd like your help with in about three weeks. My son and I are going on a camping trip with his Cub Scout troop. We anticipate the group will have about 12 Cub Scouts, aged around 7, and about 12 parents, uh, mostly 30-something non-gamers. I'd like to find some games that might work well in this environment, meaning that they have to meet the following criteria.
2: Hmm.
0: Number one, they can accommodate 20 or more people. (laughs) That's just a small criteria. (laughs) Two, they are accessible to 7-year-olds, but fun for adults as well. Okay. Three, they can be played while sitting around a campsite. We will not have access to picnic tables or other playing surfaces. Four, they cannot have small pieces that will easily become lost if dropped in the grass. And five, they must be in print or readily available through eBay or the Board Game Geek marketplace because he actually has to buy the games if right. he doesn't have them. exactly. <laughs> so, Mr. Colson You actually came up with Five. I did i i bent i had i i will be honest, I did bend i won't tell you which rule I bent, but I did bend <laughs> one of the rules pretty significantly, but I gave a pretty good rationale behind why i bent bent the rule, but I did find at least at least a few huh. that, that fit i think I'm most. guessing the
1: components can't be flammable
0: yeah, that would be <laughs> frowned upon i think or marshmallows yeah exactly
1: <laughs> it's a yeah, it's a game with marshmallows you know those little the little ones that come in different colors.
0: Hey kids, let's play a game called S'mores. <laughs> exactly. Wow, that's potentially sounds tough. It is tough. I will warn you in advance. This took some some brain power and I, people, I, will, I I will I will feel free to admit I did cheat. Available a little. Wow. So uh, Brad, I think by the time you answer, he may have already had the camping trip. So he may be reading me the riot act for my choices uh, by that point. But I thought it'd be kind of fun if we both kind of secretly took, I took the challenge before you and then we'll get to see what, what we both came up with and whether any of them fit most of the criteria. It's a tough bill to fit all the, all five Mm -hmm. of those things. Now dude, you said boy scouts, right? Cub Cub scouts. Cub scouts. So
1: I wonder if they have like a game merit badge. If they don't, they should. Heck yeah. It should be a meeple. (laughs) Thinks That'd (laughs) be very cool.
0: (laughs) Mailbag. It's time for you to let us know what you think. Comments, questions, criticisms. Let us have it. So we have a game nickname to award to a generous donator to the spiel cause here. Congratulations and a game nickname are in order to Brandon the Caballero Pennington. Thank you very much, Brandon, for donating to the spiel. We appreciate it. Just a goofy way of us saying thanks to anybody who donates to the spiel site. You're always going to get a game theme nickname. So Brandon the Caballero Pennington, thanks for keeping us going. So uh, a light, a light week on the mailbag. I think everyone else was exhausted as we were after uh, exactly. <laughs> the listeners' choice, choice episode. Mm. It took it out of them to plan, and it's t- <laughs> it took it out of us to do it. So it's a little light on the, the mailbag this week. Um, but before we get to the actual uh, mail, uh, we got to talk about the poll. We got right. we're going to switch up a little bit on the poll and and do a little bit of nagging or yeah, or exactly. razzing
1: people. <laughs> For, first off, uh, we want to let everybody know that we've decided to let the poll run. Uh, across two episodes. So it'll run approximately four weeks. That'll give us a long time to really get an idea of what you guys think. Yeah. You know, we don't want to, you know, poll a poll pull prematurely. <laughs> I,
0: you know what I mean. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> But we thought that, you know, it'd be cool if our targets always get at least 100 people to respond to each exactly. poll the Because that seems like a good data set to be right. able to, to exactly. make some kind of opinion. So That having been said... Yeah, so the current poll, the question, just as a reminder, is uh, what's your favorite classic card game? With the choices being uh, Euchre, Bridge, Cribbage, Canasta, Hearts, Pinochle, Go Fish, Scopa, Poker, and Rummy. A good, a great assortment of classic yeah, card games. Yeah, it doesn't cover all of
1: them, but... And, I must say, I'm, sh- I'm sure you agree with me. Completely shocked Completely at the moment, shocked.
0: absolutely flummoxed. <laughs> uh, the winner by a long margin at this point is Hearts. Now, I, I don't mind Hearts; it's a fine game. But of all these games, Hearts, people—I know that's your I, favorite classic card game.
1: I that's feel freaky. That
0: kind of makes me sad. That I mean, is it because you haven't played these other games? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah,
1: Bridge, euchre, cribbage, uh, uh, scopa. I mean, there's I. I mean, I know, I know there's no way we can decide yeah, for other yeah, people oh, what their favorites are. It's just shocking. You know? I'm just really surprised. Yeah, yeah. That, that's all. Yeah. I just,
0: I surpri- I thought of so, all the so great. If, I figured to be poker or maybe rummy or one right, of those. I'm exactly, just really surprised me that
1: So the cool thing, I mean, if if hearts is your favorite, cool, great. Yeah, you're prove you're us wrong. You're winning. <laughs> if you haven't had a chance to to get on there and actually vote yet, and hearts wouldn't be your favorite. You know, yeah. get on and let us, you know.
0: But even if you voted to hearts, you know, go to the comments and, and yeah, tell, tell us why. Exactly. Tell us why, because we want we to know. Hearts rocks, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. We're going to do the poll. Keep that going um, for another two weeks, and we'll just see how the, the votes fall out in the next next two weeks, and we'll report back then. Cool. <laughs> so on to the mail. Uh, we had a nice letter from Norman Johnston in England, um, and he writes, I was wondering why you haven't talked about DBA's fantasy version Hordes of the Things. We've covered DBA, Debellus Antiquitatis, a little 15mm miniatures game. Um, He wonders why we haven't covered Hordes of the Things, which is kind of the fantasy version. As well as being a better game than DBA, in my opinion, he writes, the second edition of Hordes of the Things has great explanations and examples of some of the not-so-well-worded rules that it inherited from (laughs) DBA. And believe me, there are a lot of them. Uh, One of my favorite websites he gives a little link, which we'll include in the show notes. Um, The game itself is even cheaper to set up than DBA, He's seen armies made out of pasta (laughs) or stones, and it can't get much cheaper than that. The rules are only five pounds. If you haven't played it, he recommends seeking it out. He even sent me a little more uh, detailed rundown on what it would take to to morph my little Welsh army into a a hordes of the things by adding a couple dragons or things like that. It it just sounds really cool. So was there ever official miniatures um, the thing about D B A and Hordes of the Things is the rule set was never published by a company that made the miniatures. Ma- okay. So they just published the rule sets and there's all sorts of you gotcha. can find your miniatures. Different companies have kind of cottage industry made little uh, special armies for the different games, but there isn't one sort of Uber source for Okay. I guess Hordes I just, just always assume that DBA. your little armies for DBA were a, like Official DBA assembled arm. piecemeal oh, from okay. different awesome. different companies. All oh, that might be a good collector's corner for me someday yeah. to talk about. You know how to collect. You know different f- fifteen millimeter miniatures to make armies and things like that. Very but cool. That's an excellent suggestion. I knew about yeah. hordes of the things, and it just slipped my mind. And and now everyone knows about it. <laughs> and we'll, we'll we should put that on the list at some point. because yeah. that would be a fun one to play. I'd
1: love to. Uh, so next, so we got a great email from Victor Hogg, who, um, if you remember, the sommelier challenge that involved Lost lost on the last episode. We were talking about Locke playing a game at his lunch hour, and we said we couldn't remember what that game was. So Victor sent us in an email, and he said, actually, it's kind of a mishmash of a little bit of this game and part toy, and he's right. When you take a closer (laughs) look, it looks like a risk board, but it looks like there's little army soldiers sitting mm-hmm. on it, so technically you could say it was Risk. I think that's what we were both thinking, but it's really kind of a mish
0: mishmash of different game yeah. parts and toy parts. He sent us a link to the picture, so I'll include that cool. in the show notes so you can see the, the picture from the actual episode, if, if you care, to, to see yeah, yeah, what, exactly. what's going on. Um, because I, I was thinking it was Axis and Allies, I think, because of the little army men uh, <laughs> on yeah, exactly. the board, even. And I, I just remember thinking a, it was risk. But. Understandable why we didn't go, oh, 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 it's, that, it's game, that game now that we exactly. see the picture. So. so thank you very much, Victor. Very cool. <laughs> and lastly, let's see from the mailbag. I thought this was just a fun little thing. Uh, one of our listeners, BJ, in the Netherlands, um, I had been corresponding with him a few times, and he had this funny signature that had it was obviously um, in a language I was not familiar with, and so I had to say, okay, I don't know Dutch, so please tell me, what does this, your little signature say? So his signature at the end of his emails was, and I apologize in advance for my terrible pronunciation, because I don't know the language, but it's een meeple maakt nog geen which means one meeple doesn't make a winner. He says he always includes that because he thinks everybody should have a geeky slogan. <laughs> Which I thought that was an awesome little Awesome little slogan One meeple doesn't make a winner (laughs) (laughs) So um, I think that just about does it for this episode, Dave. Episode? Well, I don't know. What are we going to do with all our extra
1: time since we actually finished <laughs> this one in record time? <laughs> I don't think our listeners, they're probably, their jaws have dropped <laughs> We're Wait, under
0: that? the 90 minute barrier. <laughs> That's it, the end of the show. <laughs> we could just sit here and go do 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 for another. <laughs>
1: yeah, either like, wow, where's the rest of it? Or thank
0: God it's over. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll put a lid on episode 29. I'm Stephen Conway. And I'm David Coulson, so remember, whether it's the roll of a die, the turn of a card, or the flip of a tile, you don't have to play to win, you just have to play. in maple mock Noggin gin winner